This is the Manips and Sips podcast show, featuring two fellowship-trained, board-certified orthopedic and sports physical therapists. Join us as we talk all things physical therapy, manual therapy, performance, business, education, research, and of course, Sips. Hey everyone, this is the Nips and Sips podcast show featuring me. I'm Dr. Jeremy Boyd and my usual partner in crime over there, Dr. Brandon Cruz. Today we're going to be talking about strains, uh, all bunch of them, the hamstring, adductor, the hip flexor strain, we'll throw that in, maybe even calf strain as well. Are they really strains or are we missing the boat here? Uh, but before we get into it, Brandon, how's it going? Going well, Jer. Uh, early morning uh, show that we're doing today. I have my coffee in hand, no... Uh... No boozing, no um, but still, still excited for, uh, for for this episode. This is a good one. We've had a lot of side conversations on this, um, you know, just on our own and then in, in courses that we teach and, and mentoring residents and fellows. So figured we'd bring this one to uh, to the platform here, to the podcast. Yeah, I think it's something that um, a lot of people try and use what is said by evidence um, and, you know, maybe not get the results that they want or they get the reoccurring strains and they start chewing themselves in the foot because it's like, well, Evan suggests this, why is this not working? Why does this keep coming back? And that's when you need to really start to reflect and think back. Maybe something else is going on. Yeah. And I think this kind of uh, echoes some of our other podcasts and talks that we've had uh, of, you know, umbrella diagnoses uh, such as impingement or uh, anterior knee pain, you know, and, or Achilles tendonitis, tendinopathy, things like that, that uh, oftentimes get these, uh, or, you know, bursitis to get these, um, these labels and we're treating them and treating them inefficiently because we're, we're thinking it's one thing when it's really another. And I know a lot of our talks have gone, you know, back to, uh, to the spine and uh, even neurodynamics. And I think that really holds true, especially when we look at uh, hamstring and adductor strains um, specifically uh, because, you know, people will point to that and they have a mechanism of maybe running or cutting uh, or decelerating. So yeah, it, it looks like it should be a, a strain, but um, you know, their healing time is way too long. And if you look at some articles, they're looking at, you know, hamstring strain should take 40, 50, 60 days to recover. And it's like, well, should a soft tissue injury really take that long? Mm-hmm. so that yeah. that's uh you know that brings us to to our topic guys yeah and I think what you brought up too is um you know running and cutting and we automatically assume that's a soft tissue injury or maybe ligamentous and that sort of stuff and it's easy to think oh it has to be that because they're in the spore and they cut or they slow down but think about that if you're you know a couple hundred pound individuals such and so forth and you you know, stop on a dime or do anything like that, you know, though there's more trauma to just the soft tissue. If it was like abrupt or anything like that, you know, it's not just the the hamstring or the adductors. There's other things that could have been involved there. So that was something that took a little time for me to think of like, oh, well, you know, other things are getting involved. Like think of it like a concussion. Yes, they may have concussion, post-concussion stuff, but, and it's in the head or the brain, but there's enough trauma to impact also the neck. Um, so thinking of it like that, 
versus, you know, just chalking up of, oh, it's, I was running, I feel in the back of my thigh, it has to be a hamstring injury because it's tough to do a straight leg race. Um, yeah. What else could have been involved in that situation? Um, so, um, yeah, I, I would say, uh, I guess, kind of go over things. Uh, would you agree with this, Brandon, that the, I guess, overlying evidence for these strains, I think all of them for the most part, uh, you know, hamstring, adductor, even calf, um, it's mostly what evidence supports is, is eccentrics, is generally yeah. the theme is things changed. I know isometrics were to start off and now recent systematic review suggested that they really don't have it as much of an analgesic effect as we once thought to believe, but it was kind of eccentrics if they're really kind of tuned up and then uh, isometrics if they were to start off and then progress into eccentric loading and then plyometrics and return to sport, I suppose. Would you say that's a general theme? Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the articles I, I really liked, um, especially kind of going through residency, was one um, by uh, Mark Sherry and Brian Heidernsheet. I uh, probably butchered that last name. Uh, but that was made in, I believe, 2010 or 11. And, you know, they talk same thing like you just said, um, like isometrics and then building up to, um, you know, more eccentrics and like, uh, what are they called? Nordics or your feet, you know, doing a bridge, drawing your feet in and then drawing them back out. Mm. Um, you know, look at what's required from that. Um, what areas are being stressed aside from the hamstring, you know, the neurodynamics are being uh, affected and the low backs being affected. I think that's mm -hmm. where we need to, to go. Just like, um, you know, we have it band syndrome, you know, you're, you're, you're just treating a tight fascial band. How is that the, the, driver or the cause of of your pain it's usually something else just because like jeremy said before um you know what the treating what have you said before treating the site is a liar or something like that right treating pain is a liar pain is a liar um there's another one treating the site i don't know i forget the name of that one but it is wrong is erroneous i, I forget what you're saying it's, it's too early right now yeah but um but yeah so there there's there's that um aspect and i'll go right off to say Right from the beginning, um, you know, if unless there's like a lot of blood pooling in the hamstring belly, you know, that, that hematoma and things like that, chances are they really haven't strained or, or you know, tore their hamstring, um, especially if you're you're treating them and they're really not progressing and things like that. You know, I think a hamstring strain should clear up pretty pretty early on and if they keep getting repeaters like you said you know th this is like the third time coming coming to somebody um start looking somewhere else uh, i think that's the the biggest thing that we've always uh, uh, talked about and it's something i do in my clinical evaluation is you know i ask the patient have they been treated before and if so you know i, I ask where just to get a general idea because uh, you kind of you know every every place up here kind of has their own little like model within the, the company mm -hmm. that if you're around long enough, you just kind of get a, a general idea of what's going on. And then I ask them what, what worked, what didn't work, you know? So if they, they point out, Oh, we did STM or they'd used a bar in my leg and we did some exercises and we did X, Y, and Z and they're still hurt. Well, I know I'm probably not going to do what they did or maybe do a lot less of it because if it's already been done, why am I going to go, do more 
instrument assistant soft tissue massage, my instrument soft tissue massage isn't going to be better than the, the next guy's. Um, all right. It's a pretty, you know, um, low level intervention, right. Versus can we do something more skilled and can I hone in on my examination? And I think this really goes into, are you doing a differential? Are you doing a proper differential on a proper screen? Uh, and does that start? I mean, for me, if it's a lower extremity, I'm starting at the lumbar spine. Mm -hmm. So clearing out the lumbar spine, making your list and really becoming a type two reasoner. We've talked about this a lot, uh, being becoming a type two reasoner and not just using a type one reasoning pattern, which is pattern recognition. Yeah. They have pain at their hamstring or adductor or said region and it hurts. And maybe they have a mechanism that might be similar to it, but are you going through and, and crossing off or ruling in or out any other possible uh, scenarios or diagnosis at play. I think that's where a lot of PTs go wrong. They don't take the time to um, actually differentiate diagnose. And too many PTs are worried about, oh, how do you treat this diagnosis instead of how do I treat set impairments mm -hmm. um, or limitations that a person presents with? Mm -hmm. right? So we need to start moving away from a diagnosis. I think we start doing that. Our outcomes across the board start getting better. For everything. Uh, as we mentioned before, like stop relying on scripts, um, even post-ops um, and that sort of stuff. I still run them through the exact same screening process. Um, I even said, I was like, yeah, maybe not ACLs and that sort of stuff. You know, it's pretty, pretty clear for that. Nope. Now I've, I've gravitated where I've now run through, run them through the same screening process because they may be missing something, maybe missing something that can be impacting their knees, such and so forth. Um, as an individual who did suffer a true hamstring strain. Uh, this is a result of going to grad school for whatever, three years, not really being as physically active. And then as soon as I graduated, uh, went and played a, a pickup soccer, um, I had true like pooling and my back of my leg was bruised and everything like that. Um, yeah, that I healed fairly spontaneously. I uh, didn't really need to do much or anything like that. Um, but I had similar issues and pains on my opposite side, you know, years later, um, it would seem it was easy to assume that that was hamstring because they had some weakness in the hamstring and such and so forth, but I had no mechanism of injury on the right. Um, and, you know, doing like hamstring strength thing would have really helped me out doing an examination when my therapists or student physical therapists looked at my back and they found out that the corresponding side was, was painful, tender, stiff, um, had some positive neural dynamics and everything like that. So, um, don't let like previous injuries impact what you're going to decide to do. Um, I think you, you hit the nail on the head with saying like, try and find that real cause of things, especially, you know, with these type of, um, injuries, if they, if it's a true soft tissue, like what I had in my left hamstring, um, I, it doesn't bother your back. It's, it's isolated to that soft tissue region. Mm. Um, it's not going to, unless you're really walking with a sweet limp or something like that, like you blew that bad boy up, maybe it can start to bother your back after a period of time. Um, and I would still think instead of thinking that there's a compensation, I would think, oh, the back got involved in that injury as well from day one. Um, but, um, you know, I don't, I think for soft tissue injuries, it's going to be pretty isolated. So a good question to ask is, you know, do you feel anything elsewhere? 
and people are like, oh, my back's stiff and that sort of stuff. Um, feeling things down a little further into the calf. Mm. Well, that's not hamstring injury or, or anything mm. like that. So, you know, make sure you ask those type of questions. Um, I think I always ask in my evaluations, if, if you have, do you have pain or problems anywhere else, even if you feel like it's unrelated? And I think I've seen Ernie, who's working with a fellow who, where I used to work, Ernie Gamble, he took it one step further and made sure he like touched each zone, like any problems with shoulders, knee, elbows, hands, and, you know, mm-hmm. hips, uh, knees, back, such and so forth. And that lets a patient know that it's like, you're looking for things beyond just their problem area. Uh, I think that's really, really important with these, these chronic strains and stuff. Um, so make sure you do that. And just to kind of top off some things. And if you're really like, Purely the EBP, I guess that's now become a camp itself in the, yeah, in the physical yeah. therapy realm. And I want you to cha- challenge you guys and the thing of like, oh, well, I do eccentrics, they've gone better and such and so forth. Well, see how long it takes, you know, if it's 60 days and that sort of stuff. Did your eccentric loading, was, was that really just natural course of time? Can we get people better faster? Can we, you know, resolve their symptoms quicker? um versus you know them being out you know two months is that's a whole season pretty much at this point especially with these covid shortened seasons so um i think a lot of times where i thought i had previous success because those previous therapists that were working with some of my clients and that sort of stuff and they're doing mostly stretching and soft tissue stuff and whatever it may be um and i was like i'm gonna add eccentric loading um and get some benefit and that sort of stuff but didn't get all the way there or it was reoccurring, you know, more often than not, it's probably just natural course of time that things calmed down a little bit on their own, but didn't really truly address the root cause of their symptoms. And that's why I came back. I've had my pesky hamstrings. I'm like, oh, it's just a pesky hamstring. No, it's probably me not treating the right area to begin with. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> that's a bit of a rant. <laughs> oh, um, well, while you were talking, I was thinking of another stubborn one like you that you talked about. You miss a whole season or an athlete can miss a whole season. And I, I see this a lot in professional sports. And granted, we don't know the, the true cause. And a lot of times they'll they'll use one diagnosis just to cover up something for the, the media and public. But um, lat strains. Lat strains is a big one that it's like, what what's a mechanism for a lat strain? Right. And um, why is it taking these? players two months to come back from it i i don't i don't see it being a true lat strain you know that that should clear up within a couple weeks and if not you know i guess we'll give some tidbits of you know places to look for anybody who's out there working with uh the overhead athlete um a lot of these overhead athletes are also rotation i'd look at their shoulder are we mobilizing their shoulder and not just doing rotator cuff massages um or lat massages and then looking at possibly neurodynamics or treating their low back and mid back i mean the lat spans you know a whole basically almost the whole spine um definitely looking at t-spine looking at t-spine rotation and treating into t-spine rotation Mm -hmm. looking at lumbar possibly hips especially in a sport like baseball which is so rotary uh swinging a bat requires your hips and low back and torso and then if you're a pitcher uh, obviously that shoulder as well even i shouldn't even say pitcher because you know if you play the field you're still throwing the yeah, ball outfield um, so you still need to look at that shoulder and even neck um mm-hmm. so you're really looking 
through that whole really top half, even the hips I'm looking at as well, hip motion to see if there's any limitations there. That should clear up a lot of stuff. Um, and, you know, if, if you're doing your, your A stem or you're dry needling to the lat and that patient's not getting better or they get better in the session, they come back and they're like, yeah, I came back. You know, I, I challenge you too to start looking, start looking elsewhere, start expanding the way you treat. Mm-hmm. So I take it one another step there is pec strains, right? Oh, uh, God, I was, I, was, I was a pec soft tissue monster uh, getting in there with, I've elbowed people, all these sort of things. Um, think about all the things that refer to the pec. I mean, one, it's like, yes, in the throwing motion. So right there, we got neural dynamics, median nerve, maybe other nerves, ulnar nerve. Um you know, first, second rib refer down into there. Even the collarbone, I've had seen some issues with that, and that can impact the the anterior chest, uh, the neck, um, you know, CT junction especially. So, you know, really, really try and, you know, dive into that test, retest. I think especially like, let's say for the pec strain, let's say either your first rib or CT junction. All right, so they're tender here. They had the mechanism. They're diagnosed with that. Well, me manipulating their 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 CT junction, or whatever, shouldn't just you know make that you know that tenderness and the ability to stretch that strained muscle magically get much better. Um, so yes, there's no physiological effects and that sort of stuff. And um, but I think if it's a true strain uh, and mechanical to to the tissues there, um, it's not gonna have as much of an effect versus you know soft tissueing it for. 10, 15, 20, 20 minutes. So, you know, I think for, you know, I think the main point what Brandon brought up is not unless you have, you know, true ecchymosis or maybe a classic pop, even if it's, you know, maybe especially grade twos and threes, you know, most of those true ones, they, they do report that they, they heard, felt something pop and then followed up with some bruising. Yeah. Um, even the grade ones, I would say, if it's it's a it's a grade one, they usually report something like that. Maybe it's not as profound, but if those things aren't adding up, if you're not listening, hearing those things, that's when I start to think, you know, maybe it was something else. Yeah, to go back to your 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 pec point, I mean, and you you talked about clearing out the first rib and CT junction and things like that. I mean, you know, look at what innervates the um, the pec. I mean, it's that lower um lower cervical nerve roots right mm-hmm. it's it's your your six seven eight and one mm-hmm. right so why aren't we treating that air we had a patient um one of my employees had a patient and they were complaining of kind of widespread pain through like their pec and um to the sternal region and you know the guy had no cervical motion and i had you know made the comment just start with the neck and see what happens and that um that widespread pec pain be kind of came very focal into that core cord process and um you know patient still was insisting on it's his pec it's his pec and we had uh our therapist educating like i haven't even touched your pec and your pain's getting better mm-hmm. um you know so you know it took a couple of visits our, our patient was getting our our, our therapist was getting low patient. you know he's a newer newer grad so he's like well you know should I be going anywhere else? I'm like, you got the results treating the neck, keep treating the neck. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe go further, you know, different segments, mm-hmm. um, maybe look at the shoulder neurodynamic, but it's there. Um, you know, so 
he decided to to not and you know dance around and play with the scap and, and do some pec soft uh, tissue to the pec and no change was happening i was like okay what does that tell you you now need to go back yeah. um, but if you want to do some pec massage just for the patient because they they swear it's the pec and you do five minutes of that just to kind of appease them you know then do that but yeah. understand where you're getting uh your changes from and if all else fails go back to what was working mm -hmm. and ideally like really take the time if you got something that's working and making progress i understand it's, it's obviously a process and that sort of stuff and stick with it you know a lot it's, i think especially the motivated uh clinicians students um we're always like all right i want them better yesterday um and you know especially if it's chronic issues and that sort of stuff you're not god you're not going to cure them in one but you can make a big impact so don't like throw it out like oh it got me to this point let's end it let's find something else yeah and then you try and find something else one of the patients starts to think like oh, maybe they don't really know what's going on and then if you have to backtrack yeah. and then go back to it then it's just like oh you know did we waste some time and that sort of stuff not saying you shouldn't experiment always you know look for the the best of the best uh increase by five ten percent um improvement on each session such and so forth but um you know sometimes we just gotta stick with it um you know and don't don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, as brandon always says on the show um but um yeah there's some uh I think uh, we, I think we're pretty good. I mean, Brandon, I don't know if you have, have you had any good case studies lately or anything mm -hmm. like that besides uh, this one that you just referenced? Yeah, I'd say that, that would be the, the one that um, was most recent. Um, I've had a couple other adductor strains and this is where it comes down to knowing some referral patterns, um, knowing, you know, thinking outside the box, knowing somatic referral patterns, nerve referral patterns, even muscular referral patterns. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, a lot of things in the, you know, the QL or the hip flexor can actually refer pain all the way down into the lower leg. Mm -hmm. um, so understanding that, like I've had um, somebody with lateral ankle pain, and this is back when I was able to dry needle, I dry needled their hip flexor and it recreated their, their ankle pain and their ankle pain went away. Mm -hmm. um now is that because it's the hip flexor or because there are nerve roots that innervate the hip flexor that can also go down you know innervate lower leg as well um possibly mm -hmm. uh, so you know understanding um things like that i've had several adductor strains where i've mobilized the tl junction or, or upper lumbar mm -hmm. and it refers and they're like that's my pain yeah. and that's usually found in my assessment where we talk about we we clear out the lumbar spine, you know, it's not just doing your range of motion, it's doing your spring testing. And if it recreates pain, I don't even need to go any further. Like, I'm just going to stick with that. If that recreated your pain and you told me that we've all said, you know, listen to a patient long enough to tell you how to treat them. Mm -hmm. you now, if I'm mobilizing or spring testing the area, it recreates the pain. I'm just going to stay there. Yeah. And now I know it's the lumbar spine. Maybe I need to look at the hips and, and mobilize the hips or do some neurodynamics for obturator nerve or something like that. But mm. the crux of it, a great lumbar spine. I'm going to mobilize it and manipulate this sucker. Yeah. Um, it, it, and a lot of times it's, it's, it happens within a, a session or two. Yeah. And even if it's not so much, I think, especially our younger uh, students and clinicians, which are like so fixed on something objective needs to be found and there's asymmetries in the human body, which I fully agree with and such stuff. But if you're on spring testing and it's like a left adductor strain, it's been bothering for a while, reoccurring, 
and you're going doing your spring testing and everything that TL junction or maybe a little higher, a little bit lower is all painful on the left or stiff on the left. Um, yeah, you may not get a pure recreation thing. Sometimes it's not that easy. You get really good at your hands, understand your pressures. You're probably more likely to be able to do that. There's mm-hmm. plenty of times where I have a student run through it and then I go in and all of a sudden they're like, I feel that in my hip. Yeah. I feel that in my groin. I'm like, all right. So, you know, work on those skills. But if you're finding some stuff in the back, it's stiff, it's painful. And the other side isn't, you know, add that in, you know, treat that right there and then see if it helps. So don't always chase the recreation of things. Sometimes, especially early on, it's not so easy to find, but you'll find little subtle things um, that can cue you into treating that area. And if it doesn't work, screw it. Go, go right back into the groin or the adductors, whatever it may be. Uh, but don't blow it off or bypass it um, just mm-hmm. because it's a diagnosis. We recently had a girl like on a hamstring injury um, reoccurring. Uh, I was working with PTs and that sort of stuff. It was uh, two sessions. Uh, the second session was, I would say, wasn't needed at all. Uh, she came, I was actually surprised she came in. I was texting her mom. Uh, she just wanted a follow-up and everything, but it was one session. We manipulated her back, did some mobilizations, and her hamstring pain was completely away. And we did nothing related to the hamstring. Yeah. Um, so, And she and was ready to be where, shut down. Huh? Sorry, I said, and those are the ones that you treat them and it's like you're half an hour into your session. You're like, yeah, I think we're done. Yeah, that was right. pretty much uh, it. It was like uh, my student Pat was with me and maybe Kayla too. And they're like, what else do we do? I'm like, is she pain free? <laughs> She's like, yeah. I was like, okay, it's it's over. <laughs> I don't know what, what else more to do. Um, you don't need to go into the weeds of hamstring eccentrics or anything like that because she yeah. just needed her back to be loosened up. Um, you know, we referred her to a strength and conditioning person to, to keep doing things and have a well-rounded program, but does she need to spend 15, 20 minutes just working her hamstrings? No. Um, so sometimes that's it. You know, we just need, um, what was the, uh, was it Jason Glassman, the, um, TPI course, he's just like manual therapist or like bulldozers. So he's like, give them as much as they can to do on their own, like clients as a strength and conditioning person. And then every once in a while, if it's just not working, you, you bring in a manual therapist, medical professional, and they'll just bulldoze things. And then they get right back into it. Um, especially for these, these chronic strains. Yeah. If anything, I was going to say those 15, 20 minutes can be work, you know, used to mobilize their, you know, self mobilizations of the hip or low back or something in, in that region. Um, and for all you sports therapists out there, sports, I, I put that in quotes or, um, you know, aspiring sports therapists, uh, not everything is, you know, movement modulation and having the, the perfect squat or perfect lunge and, you know, while, okay, they're pain-free, but there's more to it. Yes, to an extent, but, you know, a lot of times you get, you know, a pretty high-level athlete, you're an athlete in general, like they're probably pretty conditioned already. You might have to tweak a couple things here and there uh, and improve things, but you probably don't need to go and do as much as, as you think you need to. Mm-hmm. And as a sports therapist, there's definitely a, a inherent bias. And I think this comes from just the older mentality and generation that, okay, you need to be great soft tissue skills and exercise. Like it goes beyond that. And I think if you start expanding your realm into being able to truly differentially diagnose, um, improve your manual therapy skills, joint-based manual therapy skills, neurodynamic-based manual therapy skills and assessment, 
you know, that's just going to carry over into your, your sports side as well. We've said this before sports is a sub um, a subcategory subgroup underneath orthopedics. So you need to be good at your orthopedics first uh, before you just jump into sports. And I think that's where, um, you know, APTA has, has, you know, or really our profession, our profession just has a, a horrible identity crisis. We don't know what the fuck we are. Um, and, you know, going into right away, just jumping into sports um, without having that true orthopedic knowledge, you miss a lot. And I've said this before on a podcast and, you know, um, I'll reiterate it now because we're on strains and this tends to be a more athletic population working uh, alongside um, therapists that have undergone training in a sports residency. Um, a lot of those programs don't focus on the spine. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those programs will often have an OCS or a orthopedic residency and a sports residency. So the sport guys tend to not get access to the spine because it's not required or needed for sports. Um, but the orthopedic guys do. So when it comes down to it, you guys end up being limited. Like I literally worked alongside and he was a great therapist, great sports therapist, but we'd come to the spine. He's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, Oh, have you looked at the spine? He's like, no, we were taught this. I'm like, well, you know, examine the spine. And more often than not, a lot of stuff came, um, from the spine. So, you know, if, um, one, I think sports programs should start including the spine more in the curriculum. And two, um, if you're, you're, you know, a sports therapist and you're not looking at the spine, uh, as often as maybe you should, you know, hopefully this podcast, uh, encourage you to do so. Mm-hmm. This whole this whole clinics with that kind of mentality it's like oh we're a sports clinic so we just see the peripheral joints yeah um like oh well does that mean you look at the spine like no we look at the the joint itself i'm like the injury and we we've mentioned the um it was a study from uh mckenzie uh but it was all the was looking at individuals with peripheral joint pain it's like 300 people and how many of those actually had a spinal source it was like over 40% in particular areas, the strain areas is actually found more. So in the belly areas, biceps, forearm, quad, thigh area, and calf region were more likely to be actually a spinal source than the actual joint area. So, you know, don't, don't ignore all these, the, the research for it. Um, yeah. Test it out, challenge yourself. That's the biggest thing is sometimes we, you know, you know, we're in our own biases and that sort of stuff. And we try and be open. Uh, that's why I like to take students from different schools and different thought processes, uh, but challenge it, you know, you know, I think there was a good case studies or I've heard a couple where the therapist did one thing, one session, one thing, the next session, one thing in the other session, and then self-compared. And that was cool enough that they wrote like a case study on it. Um, do that yourself, especially if you have people three times a week. I don't really see too much three times a week anymore that's great you know um you know to play around with stuff do something on monday do something on, different on wednesday do something different on friday do be real good about you know you know testing some measures whether it's a pain um a patient specific uh functional scale psfs um or other test retest measures that we've discussed on the show but yeah really just challenge yourself guys yeah, and I'll go into your study that you said uh, that comes from the spine. What's our definition of the spine? Do we include neurodynamics in it or the spinal cord in it or the nerve roots in it, which I think Rich. we should. I don't think a lot of people do. 
Um, so again, what it, you know, what's our definition of something I think also goes into uh, how we look and view things. So just, just food for thought for the audience there. And there wasn't just your study that you talked about the McKenzie, there was a study by Lever, 80% of people with shoulder pain have neck pain as well. Uh, 60% with elbow pain have some type of neck pain or spinal sores. And then I think wrist pain is about like 40%. Yeah. So you're still looking about, you know, of the upper extremity, about 50% of your people have some type of spinal or cervical involvement. Yeah. It's a big, big, big chunk. Uh, so definitely, definitely takes at least warrants a time to at least assess it. Um, so, and if you don't have a good assessment skills, that's when, you know, take a, you know, more specific course on like, you know, cervical thoracic or lumbopelvic or thoracic itself. Um, if those skills have kind of gotten a little bit rusty. But, yeah, I think that's pretty good for today. Yep. Uh, thanks for uh, tuning in and uh, uh, looking forward for uh, this is uh, right before the new year's. So looking forward for our 2022 courses and uh, yeah. Cheers, everybody. Cheers guys. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Nips and Sips. If you liked what you listened to, please follow and subscribe to us on all major social media and podcast platforms. Please rate us on Apple Podcasts if you enjoyed the show. Interested in one of our courses? Go to www.iosmt.com. Interested in business and private practice mentorship and advice? Visit us at therehabcoaches.com. As always, feel free to reach out to us if you have any questions or recommendations, whether that be clinical or SIPs. At Manips and SIPs, at The Decent Doctor, and at Think Like a Fellow. Thanks for tuning in, and cheers, everyone.